Well, we've talked about our biggest problem, which is sin. We've talked about our greatest need, which is to have that sin dealt with. The greatest need is to, to have that problem addressed. And that's nothing that we can do ourselves or solve ourselves. And thankfully, we are not left without the solution to our biggest problem and to our greatest need needing to be met. We have the solution. God didn't just say, here's your problem, and it's a really big problem. You've sinned against me. You've fallen short of my glory. Good luck figuring that one out. He didn't do that. He said, here's the big problem, and here's your greatest need. Above all your other needs, your greatest need is to have that biggest problem solved. But he also gave us the solution. And what a solution it is. So as we continue in our series, The Bible's Best Words, we're going to look at uh, two today, two of the Bible's best words as it relates to our biggest problem and our greatest need. It's the solution to both. Romans 3, 21 through 24 is where we're going to start off looking uh, together into God's Word. I would invite you to look at that with me. I'll be reading from the ESV translation for this passage, Romans three twenty-one through 24. And we talked about last week the fact that Romans three twenty points out that uh, there's, there's no value in the law. There's, there's nothing the law does except remind you of how sinful you really are. Uh, it, it doesn't actually solve the problem. It doesn't meet your greatest need. Romans 3.21 says this, But now, and that right there is just great news in and of itself. But now, the law doesn't, doesn't do what you needed. What, it doesn't address the need. It doesn't help. It doesn't fix the issue or the problem. Paul says, but now, the righteousness of God which we all fall short of, we had in the garden, mankind had it, Adam and Eve sinned, they lost that righteousness, that perfect state, that perfect relationship with God. Romans 3.23, we'll see this in just a minute. We've already looked at this. We fall short of that righteous standard. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been revealed. It's been made available. And look at this part apart from the law. Because the law, even though given by God, is not enough to bring us to God. The law could never do that. It was never going to be able to. And we talked last week about the fact that that was literally the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, but it applies to every sort of law that we bring down on ourselves. We're really good at creating new laws for ourselves. We know we're not under the old law, but we can find it very easy as Christians who are actually under grace to still come up with a whole new law that we bring down on ourselves and hold others to. We're really good at that. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, they point to it. The law and the prophets are not without value. They're not without merit. 
The law of God is meant to be a guide. It's meant to uh, actually protect us and to keep us walking in a godly path. It's a, a moral standard, so it's not without merit. It's not without purpose. And the law and the prophets, in other words, the whole Old Testament, point to the very righteousness of God that is manifested outside of and apart from the law. The law says, here's the standard, it's perfection, it's holiness, it's righteousness, and you can't keep it. But there's something coming, there's someone coming that is going to be able to give you everything you need. He's going to keep the law that you never could. He's going to fulfill all righteousness, and He's going to give you that very righteousness. So the law, the prophets, the whole Old Testament points to what Paul is talking about here in verse 21, the righteousness of God being manifested, revealing, uh, appearing apart from the law. And then he explains what that is. Verse 22, this righteousness of God, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manifestation of all the righteousness of God. All that the law could not deliver, but pointed to, he is the fulfillment of it. He's the picture. He's the culmination. He's what everything in the whole Bible is pointing to. Yesterday in, uh, at the Fast Car event, uh, Michael, who is our Olympian missionary in his excellent gospel-centered devotional, he started off by holding up his Bible. And he said, who can tell me what this is? And nobody said anything at first. And then one, one child said, it's Jesus' book. And he, he thought about it, and he's like, you know what? I really, really like that because that's true. And he went on to talk about how the whole Bible is all about Jesus. And it is. It is. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we see that righteousness? How do, we, how do we come to faith in the one who is the manifestation of righteousness? It's by looking into the Word of God because it reveals the revelation of righteousness, which is Jesus. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Not through the law, not by working really hard to, to achieve some moral standard or check off a bunch of boxes in a list, not by uh, meeting all these traditional uh, expectations and obligations and going through all the motions of a ritual. It's not found in that. It's found through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, he says, Verse 23, we've looked at this a couple times now throughout this series. Verse 23, for all have sinned. This is why there's no distinction, okay? There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every single member of the human race, past, present, future. All of us are in the same boat. And it's a sinking boat. It's a boat that's full of sin in a sea of sin. And we're all sinking in it. We all have fallen short, missed the mark of God's holiness and His perfection. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's another 
reason why there's no distinction and are justified, and you could insert all that have sinned, all that have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, those people all are also able to be justified. All have sinned and all need justification. You see that? Everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's fallen short of righteousness. Nobody can bring that back for themselves. I can't make myself righteous. I can't make you righteous. You can't make yourself righteous. Nobody else can do that for you. Coming into to church today, as great as that was, and I'm as glad as I am that you did it, that's not enough to make you righteous before God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, missed the mark no matter what we've done, no matter what we try, we keep missing the mark. We're all in that same boat, and by connection, we're all able to be justified and only able to be justified. I'm going to say that again. Only able to be justified. Look at this next part. I'm in verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift. You Everybody with me? This is so important. You've got to get this. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Is a gift something that you have to work really hard to get? You have to work a whole lot of, a lot of hours and put in all this labor and earn to be able to get that. Is that a gift? No, that's, that's a wage. That's a job, right? A gift is something you did not work for, you didn't put in time for, you didn't pay for it yourself, and yet you're able to get it. Why? Because someone else paid for it for you. There was money involved, there was time involved, there was work involved, but it wasn't yours, and yet you still benefit from whatever that gift is. That's what Paul is saying here. How how are we justified? We've all fallen short of God's glory. We're all sinners in His sight. We're all missing the mark of what He's called us to from the Garden of Eden all the way up through now. But we're able to be justified in His sight, not by any effort on our part, not by trying hard or doing a certain amount of work, not by keeping the law, by His grace as a gift. Paul talks about that in great detail in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where he says, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of any works, so that no one can boast. No one can say, look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. The very salvation that you and I are able to have and walk in and live in, it's not from ourselves. And the faith we needed to put in the person and work of Jesus to receive that salvation, that's not from us either. That is a gift. It's all grace. Grace is completely undeserved 
favor, kindness, unmerited favor and love and goodness. Mercy is not getting something we deserve. I think we understand that. I think we all can relate to that. You know, if someone is showing us mercy, it means they're withholding something that we deserve. Right? Grace is receiving or getting something that we could never, ever possibly deserve. We could never deserve to get what we're given. That's grace. And that's what's going on here. We are justified by His, by whose grace? By God's grace, the very God we have sinned against. The very God that we have broken every single command before. The very God that we have offended and grieved by our actions. The very God whose glory we have fallen infinitely short of. That God reaches out to us, the fallen, and justifies us by His grace as a gift. And how does this happen? How does this come to us? Through the redemption. That's the means of this grace. The means of justification. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So there's the passage. There's our two words, justified or justification and redemption, redeemed. Those are the two of the three really amazing words that that I feel truly are the Bible's best words on which everything else rests, on which everything hinges and turns and moves and works for our benefit. So I want to unpack those, those words this morning. Justification first. Verse 24 says that we're justified. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? What does justification mean? What's it all about? Well, here's a very simple but I think accurate definition, a way of understanding this important, amazing word. It's the unrighteous being declared righteous. So justification happens when the unrighteous, that's all of us, every human being, the unrighteous is declared righteous. Specifically, it's the sinner before God, sinning against God, being declared righteous by God. Being declared right. Even though in ourselves there is no way we can make ourselves right. And naturally speaking, apart from His intervention, there's no way we could ever be righteous. And yet, we're able to be. So that's what justification is. We're being justified. It's, it's a legal decree. Picture a, a courtroom. Uh, that's what it is. It's the picture of a courtroom. That's what Paul is, is painting here with this word. It's a legal decree. It's a gavel falling down. And instead of a guilty verdict, which is deserved, it's a verdict of not guilty, innocent, righteous, right standing. It's an official status change from guilty to not guilty, from sinner to saint, unrighteous to righteous. An example of, of what really is trying to be conveyed here and what Paul is capturing is something that I think we all can understand. It's uh, the pardon. Think of the presidential pardon. One of the president's most powerful tools at their disposal. The pardon. In 1868, President Andrew Johnson pardoned more than 13,000 former Confederate soldiers. He also pardoned 
Samuel Mudd. Have you ever heard the phrase, his name is Mudd or my name will be Mudd? Well, it comes from this guy, from Samuel Mudd. Samuel Mudd was the doctor who had been convicted of conspiracy for harboring John Wilkes Booth and treating his broken leg after he assassinated Abraham Lincoln. So President Andrew Johnson pardoned more than 13,000 former Confederate soldiers and the one whose name is Mudd. Shocking for everyone. I mean, it was very, very controversial. It was received with a lot of opposition. In 1974, President Gerald Ford controversially pardoned Richard Nixon for, quote, any crimes he had committed or may have committed or been part of a month after President Nixon resigned in disgrace because of the Watergate scandal. So pretty controversial. And there's others that we could look at that are shocking in, in the fact that a president actually pardoned uh, certain individuals. But as shocking and even controversial as those two pardons or three pardons that I shared with you and others that might be out there uh, were or, or are, they are nothing, church. They are nothing compared to the pardon that God's justification is. The pardon that you and I have been able to receive if we are in Christ this morning. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, then God the Father has looked at you and has said, pardoned. Forever. It's an eternal pardon. So that when, when the enemy, Satan, who, who Scripture tells us is the accuser of the brethren that we know from little pictures in Scripture, is able to go before the very throne room of heaven, before God Himself, and leveling accusation and charges against you and me. Look at that, that sin that they, they committed. They're, they're supposed to be a Christian. How could they do this? Did, do you know that they just lied? Do you, do you know the lust that, that they responded to when I tempted them with it? Do you know the manipulation that they are, are doing? Do you know all that's in their heart? Look at what they just did, God. And God looks at, at our life, and what He sees is the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ covering us with a big label, pardoned forever. Nothing could be as controversial or radical as God, the Almighty Perfect One, pardoning you and me. That's what justification is. It's a constantly imperfect, completely unrighteous sinner, you and me, being declared righteous by our perfectly righteous God, resulting in right standing and right relationship with Him. Wow, right? Those who fell forever short of the glory of God are able to be picked up and placed next to God as royalty right standing with God. 
right relationship with Him. Not as offender of His holiness, but as beloved son and daughter. You may have heard uh, this. It's a nice, pithy little statement, and it sounds good, and in some ways it's okay uh, because it's still kind of pointing at the truth. This statement uh, to define justification just as if I've never sinned. You've probably heard that. Well, here's the problem with that. It doesn't, A, doesn't go far enough, and B, it doesn't really accurately convey and capture what's really going on. Justification, this is so important, justification doesn't mean God pretends we never sinned. He doesn't look at you and me and somehow, you know, pretend like, oh, well, they've never sinned. I'm going to just pretend like that didn't happen. I'm going to pretend like what they are apart from Christ is not true. I'm, I'm going to pretend it's as if they've never offended my holiness. I'm going to pretend like they've never, ever sinned. La, 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 you know. <laughs> no, that's not what God does. Justification doesn't mean God pretends we never sinned. It means He makes us righteous even though we have sinned and still will. That's justification. Because apart from the justification of God that comes through faith in Christ, apart from that, you and I would be forever locked in our sinful state. We would have no hope of being anything but sinners. That's actually why Adam and Eve at the very beginning, when they fell, and we've talked about their fall, and we talked about how uh, last week we looked at uh, the fact that, you know, they tried to cover themselves with with fig leaves, remember that? They tried to cover and meet their need, right? And it didn't work. God made them animal skins, remember? An innocent animal had to die to cover them and their shame, which was a big picture pointing ahead to what Jesus would do, what we just talked about already today. Jesus coming as the righteousness of God for all of us. Apart from God's provision... Apart from his provision, Adam and Eve would have just continued in their shame. And not only did he cover them, he expelled them from the garden. And that wasn't just this, it wasn't this, this act of, of judgment alone. It was judgment, but it wasn't just judgment. Him expelling Adam and Eve from the garden after they had eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an act of mercy. Because right there at the end of that passage, God has this counsel within the Trinity, just like he did at the beginning when he said, let us make man and and woman in our image. Remember that? Let us make man and woman in our image. So at the end of that tragic encounter with Adam and Eve and the serpent and sin and and the judgment and all of that and the curse, we get get to, to listen in on this divine counsel within the Trinity. And he says, Man and woman has become like us, knowing good from evil. And if they were to reach out and take of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever, and then it's just like this, this dash, like he can't even, he doesn't even want to bring himself to, to think about what would happen. In other words, if they were allowed to stay in the garden 
and they took of the tree of life in their now fallen state, they would live forever in that separation from God. They would live forever in their fallenness, in their sin. So God God in mercy expelled them from the garden so that they could then receive the provision that would come later. So that all of us would not be locked in our sin, that we could be made right with Him. Justification. So apart from Christ, we will always be nothing but sinners. So justification is not I'm going to, God saying, I'm going to pretend like they've never sinned. No, He knows we've sinned. He knows we still will sin. He knows the depths of our depravity more than we do. And yet, and yet, still declares us righteous. Not because we're that good. Not by any effort on our part. Not by any law-keeping. By something else entirely. This, I haven't used this picture in a while, but it captures our, what our response should be to this. Inconceivable. Right? It's, that's inconceivable. Why would God do that? How is that possible? How would God take us in our sinful state and declare us righteous and make us right with Him? How? Why? It's inconceivable, Right? So how can that happen? If it's not the law that does it, if it's not my morality that does it, and that's certainly not it because I don't have any morality naturally that would make God say, oh, you know what, that, that's good enough. Yeah, righteous. No, not going to happen. So how can that happen? It's by means of that other word that we've already looked at in the passage today. It's in the end of verse 24. The beginning of verse 24 says we're justified, declared righteous, declared right, brought into right standing and right relationship with God by His grace as a gift through the redemption. There's the other word. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's how. That's how the justification can happen. Here's the other, uh, just another unpacking of that word. Redemption is paying a prisoner's ransom. That's what the word means. That's what's wrapped up in redemption. It's the payment of a prisoner's ransom. Romans 3, 24, the last part there, I'll just read that again. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the word that Paul used for redemption in this passage in the original Greek and, and all throughout the New Testament, anytime the word redemption comes up and is used, in the original Greek, it's a word that was used to describe the release of prisoners of war when a very high payment was made for them, which came to be known as ransom. And as time went on, that type of transaction was extended to include the freeing of slaves in a slave market. And again, it was by the payment of a very high price. A very, very high price. Whether it was a prisoner of war and the other side wanted to free them, or it was the purchase of a slave in the marketplace, 
It was a transaction, and it was a very costly transaction. And that's the word for redemption. It's the, the ransom price for the freeing of a, of a prisoner or uh, the releasing of a slave or the purchasing of that. In John 8.34, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, here's the connection for all of us. Here's why redemption is such good news. Why it is one of the Bible's best words. In John 8.34, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So what does that mean for us? Considering we're all sinners, it means our rescue, which we could not do for ourselves, no one else could do for us, our rescue required a ransom. Our rescue required a ransom. And that ransom and that rescue it came by way of God's own Son. That's why Paul said at the end of of verse 24, speaking of redemption, he said that's in Christ Jesus. It's in Him. It's through Him. It's by means of Him. So Jesus reveals the righteousness of God. It's made manifest apart from the law, by grace, not by anything we do or earn, through, by means of, a ransom payment that came by Jesus. So not only is he the revelation of the righteousness that we need restored to, he's also the ransom that allows us to be restored. Get that? See why that's such good news? Why these are truly some of the Bible's best words? Galatians 4, 4 through 5 uh, expounds on this about the fact that this, this ransom came by way of, of Jesus, God's own Son. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, and, and I'm reading this also from the ESV, says this, this is Paul still writing, when the fullness of time had come, think, think of a glass getting full, you know, especially in the morning you want that nice full cup of coffee, right? You don't want a little bit of coffee. You want a lot of coffee. For those of you who are not coffee drinkers, I just don't know how you live. But whatever, fill, fill in the blank with whatever you're wanting there or need, you know. You, you want a nice full glass, and so it's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. Or think of uh, Olive Garden. Some of you will be going there today in just a little bit, if I'll ever stop speaking. Um, and that wonderful, wonderful waiter, when they come and they, they take the cheese, right, over your salad or your soup or your lasagna, and they start grinding that wheel, and they say, say when, Right? And I'm like, I'm going to wait until your arm falls off. I mean, there's no such thing as too much cheese on those things, right? It's like that. It's the fullness of that. It's, nope, not yet, not yet. More, more, more. Okay, now we're good. When the fullness of time had come, in God's sovereignty, His calendar, His plan, when the time reached completion, God sent Forth his son, his perfect divine son, born of woman, so he, the divine son of God took on our humanity, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem, there's that word, to ransom, to rescue at high cost, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive Adoption 
as sons. We who fell short of the glory of God, we who were sinners and enemies of God by our very nature and under his wrath, he did not leave us in that state. He made it possible for us not just to be restored to righteousness, but to be made his family. And it all came through Jesus by means of his work on the cross for us. Colossians 1, 13-14, this is from the CSB. It says, He, God, the Father, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, which we're all born into and then willingly choose to be part of. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption. There's that word again. Ransom. The forgiveness of sins. See, our forgiveness of sins, which we need to be right with God, does not come without a cost, a high cost. And we're going to talk in great detail about that cost next week as we wrap up this series. That's the third of the Bible's best words. The cost that the ransom was paid with. But for now, let me just say this. Only the gospel, only the gospel shows us a God that is willing to provide the ransom required to redeem people that willingly rebelled against him. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ shows us that. Only the gospel shows us a God that is willing to provide the ransom required to redeem people that willingly rebelled against him. And only the God of the gospel would be willing to provide that ransom the way he did. What all this means, coming, coming full circle, bringing it all down and, and preparing us for what next week will be about, this is, I think, a good summary statement for where we've been in the series, what, where we are today, and then how we're going to conclude. Jesus, and only Jesus, provided the only solution to our biggest problem and greatest need. Only Jesus. I want to leave you with two verses from a very old hymn that is just fantastic. Rock of Ages. And it so captures this and just so completely communicates what the gospel is about, what justification means, what redemption means, and why Jesus is the only solution to our biggest problem and greatest need. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. 
naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being willing to pardon us. We could never deserve that. We could never be worthy of your pardon. We could never be worthy of being justified in your sight. But you loved us enough to not leave us in our sinful state, but to send us Jesus to make us right with you. Oh, Father, for any and everyone that has not yet stepped into that justification, that has not received redemption yet, let today, right now, be the the time, the day, where they do that, where they say, yes, I receive your gift of grace, God. I receive the gift of grace for justification that's found in Jesus alone. He is the solution to my problem, and I receive him now. Let that be done, please. Work in hearts in that way. For the rest of us who have already received that amazing gift of redemption, of justification, oh, Father, help us to never get over how amazing your grace really is. And help us to depend on nothing else but the the completed work of Christ on our behalf. And help us not to keep that to ourselves, but to proclaim it to everyone. Hey, there is a solution. There's a remedy. And it's not in something. It's in someone. And His name is Jesus. May that be on our lips and in our hearts and lived in our lifestyles. Thank you. Thank you for salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.